We've been talking about what does the Bible say about? What does the Bible say about? And each week for four weeks, we've uh, looked at a different particular topic because often we think we know what the Bible says about something, but we may not really know what it says. We may be making a lot of assumptions, some with good foundation and, and, and perhaps some without. So if you've missed the first couple of weeks, I invite you to go back and, and listen to it on our podcast or on the YouTube channel or um, on Facebook. The first week was about what does the Bible say about itself, and then last week Steve talked about what does it say about uh, poverty, and next week what does it say about racism, and today we're looking at what does the Bible say about homosexuality. We've not taken a deep dive into the scriptures about homosexuality. In the six years that Steve and I have been here, we've not preached about these scriptures and really dug into them. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're, look at, we're going to look at what does the Bible say about um, this topic, and, and we're going to re-examine those scriptures together. Now, I'm not itching to preach on this topic. I would much rather have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with you or in a small group, but it's a topic that needs to be talked about. And it is the presenting, dividing issue in our denomination. And because Trinity is a place that is very open and affirming, there are households who have left Trinity because of this, and there are others that have come. There's no desire on my part to try to coerce you into thinking any particular way about this, um, to change your perspective or your opinion. The Christian Church, the United Methodist Church, and those of us who are at Trinity have many different perspectives on this topic. My goal is to look at what the Bible has to say and to continue to encourage mutual conversation, and for us as Christians to first and foremost focus on loving one another as Jesus loved us. So, Jesus loves us. That's not past tense, by the way. Loves us. So, let me also say that there's no way that I can cover everything that needs to be covered in, on this topic in the next few minutes. At, at the end of this time, you may have more questions than you began with, but there are great resources for more conversation, for more study, for more reading. Micah Blanks can um, share some of those with you. He's a wonderful resource. At our first, uh, our first scripture reading for this morning has nothing to do with sexuality at all. No worries, we will get to those. It's the account of God doing a new thing as God led Peter to share good news to the Gentiles. So Peter has this dream, and in this dream, there's this big white sheet, and or that's how I envision it at least, I'm not sure what it says, uh, and, and there are animals, different kinds of animals, both clean and unclean animals, animals that were clean according to the law, and unclean animals as well, and they are all mixed together on the sheet. And Peter hears God say to him, I want you to eat all of those. And, and now that was beyond his understanding because he knew they were supposed to be separate and there were some that he was not supposed to eat. 
But he also understands that God might be doing a new thing. And so Peter, and, and God also calls Peter to go and see Cornelius. Cornelius, who is a Gentile. And he goes to see Cornelius. And then at the end of that whole time and experience, he says this when he's gathered with the people. And this is from Acts chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. As he talked with, with him, he went in and found that many had assembled And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful, unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. This is the word of God for the people of God. And God's people say, thanks be to God. And now as I do each week, I do invite you to pray for me in sharing this message with you. And I will pray for you that God will speak a word into your heart and mind today, your life, um, and that we will be all be open to what God is saying and what God is doing. So let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Open our eyes that we may see glimpses of truth you have for us today. Amen. So here we go. Hold on, we're gonna cover a lot of ground in not a lot of time, um, but we're gonna do it together. So, as I said the first week, the Bible is not one book, but it's actually a collection of books, a library of books, 66 books to be exact. And in those 66 books, there are 31,000 verses of scripture. 31,000 verses of scripture. And in those 31,000 verses, you have to search really carefully to find any scriptures that are about what we might consider the topic of homosexuality. In fact, in the most recent two, one a translation and one an addition of the Bible, the word homosexuality is not there at all. That said, there are six different verses of scripture or places in scripture that people go to when they are seeking to find out what the Bible might say about homosexuality. One is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis. Two others in Leviticus as a part of the holiness code. And three places in letters that are attributed to Paul in the New Testament. Now, as I go through these, I encourage you to write them down. We'll put the scriptures on the screen so that you can write that down, and I encourage you to go home and read them. Go back and study them and read them very carefully. The first one is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a little bit longer, so take time and go through that and read that when you get home. Uh, It's a difficult story all the way around, and 
Parts of it are very hard for us to read or imagine or comprehend as 21st century people. The story begins with Abraham, the father of the Israelites, the father of the Jewish nation. And um, he is in his tent and travelers come, three travelers. One is identified as the Lord and the other two as messengers. And he offers them food and shelter and rest for the night. Note the hospitality that he offered to these strangers these travelers. And then God, the the Lord, the one identified as the Lord, tells Abraham that uh, he has great, that God has great plans for Abraham's descendants. Uh, A great blessing planned because Abraham has done what is righteous and just. God also reveals to Abraham the that there is going to be total destruction of the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness, their uh, corruption. So Abraham hears that and knows that his nephew Lot lives in Sodom and so he pleads for the righteous of Sodom to be saved. The messengers then go to Sodom and they, they arrive at night and they are greeted at the city gate by Lot and they intend to sleep in the town square. But Lot invites them to come to his house where he feeds them and welcomes them for the night. He knows about his town and he doesn't want them out in the town square. Come to my house and stay with me. Note again the hospitality that is offered to strangers, to travelers. So... Uh, then right before they go to bed that night, the men of Sodom, all the men of Sodom, it says, come knocking at the door of Lot's house. Every single one of them, from the youngest to the oldest, come banging at the door. And they have gotten word that there are two strangers, two travelers staying at Lot's house. And they demand that Lot send them out so that they can know them so that they can rape them. Lot refuses, and then the men continue to try to beat down the door. In an effort to uh, appease the violence of these men, this is hard, Lot instead offers his two virgin daughters. Now, that's really hard for us in the 21st century. It is appalling, it is not okay. And in the ancient context of that time, the point of the story is the lengths to which Lot will go to extend hospitality to these strangers and to ensure their well-being. Hard for us to understand that, but just set that aside for now. The townspeople refuse Lot's daughters. They refuse Lot's daughters not because the townspeople are gay. Every single one of the men and boys in that town was not gay. They refused because their end goal was violence and dominance of the strangers, the travelers to their town. This is not unlike 
what we are learning about the Russians raping Ukrainians, both men and women, of all ages. This is Ukraine and was in Sodom, not about sex or about same-sex relations or attraction, but about dominance and humiliation. The story ends with the messengers blinding all of the people in the town so that Lot and his family, who are righteous, may escape before destruction was brought down on the town. This story is not about homosexuality. Not only does this story make that clear, but other references to it in Scripture make it clear. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all allude to Sodom when calling out neglect of doing good. Ezekiel says it the most clearly. Listen to this. Now, this was the sin of Sodom. They were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor or the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. And then there's what Jesus says in the Gospels as he sends out the disciples two by two to share the good news. Remember, he gives them instructions to go out and share the good news with all. And then he says, but yet, let me tell you, if you're not welcomed, he says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet as you leave that town or house. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Because of all of those verses, there is now virtual consensus among biblical scholars <clears throat> that this story has nothing to do with homosexuality and everything to do with offering hospitality to the poor, the needy, the stranger, the foreigner. Therefore, we see how the word sodomite has come to take on meaning that is totally inconsistent with its origins. What would it mean today to call someone who neglected hospitality, who neglected to help the needy, who neglected to welcome the stranger, to call them a sodomite? Now let's go on to the next two verses the holiness code in Leviticus. And don't worry, I'm not going to take so much time on every single scripture. We'll do two together and then we'll do the last three together. So there are two places in the law of Moses in Leviticus where it says that a man shall not lie with a man. One is in Leviticus 18.22 and it says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. And then the second says, if a man is, is in Leviticus 20.13, and it says, if a man lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. 
If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood guilt is upon them. Those passages seem to be clear and straightforward until you take a closer look. A closer look at their context and the meaning. So the laws of Moses were established to define the ways in which the Israelites were set apart to serve God. The laws were established to provide clear boundaries and and prohibitions in order to, like like the the bumpers on on the bowling alley, prohibitions against... Um, so that the, uh, against things so that the Jews would be set apart, would be distinct, would be holy, separate from the surrounding cultures and communities. They were not necessarily laws that had moral implications. Hear that. They were not necessarily laws that had moral implications. And if the Jews broke one law, then it was as good as breaking the whole law. Whereas for us, today we seem to elevate some of the laws of Moses while uh, ignoring others, depending on what our perspective is. Other laws that are contained in the Holiness Code and were also considered an abomination to not wear clothing of mixed fibers to not charge interests on loans, to not eat fish with legs, shrimp, to not eat animals with a split hoof, pork, to not sit in a chair after a woman who had sat in the chair and was on her period, to not have sex with a woman on her period, to not plant two different kinds of seeds in one field, Again, those laws had nothing to do with morality but the cultural context. They were all considered an abomination because breaking those laws would result in the Jews not being set apart, not being distinct, not being separate from other communities. Most importantly for us as Christians, we know that our righteousness is not dependent on keeping the law, but on faith in Jesus Christ. It is the atoning work of Jesus Christ who reconciles us to God and through which we receive salvation and sanctifying grace. Finally, there are three other places in the New Testament attributed to Paul that reference homosexuality. The first is in Romans, Romans 1, 26 and 27. For this reason, Jesus gave them over to dishonorable, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. Their females exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural. And in the same way, also the males giving up natural intercourse with females were consumed with their passionate desires for one another. There's a lot to unpack in that. And then there are two lists of vices attributed to Paul. The first one is in Paul's, one of Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. 
Do you not know that wrongdoing will inherit the kingdom of God, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, which is a Greek word, malakoi, men who engage in illicit sex, which is a Greek word, arsenikotai, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then another scripture from 1 Timothy. This means understanding that the law is laid down, not for the righteous, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the godless and sinful, for the holy and profane, for those who would kill their father or mother, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who, illicit, who engage in illicit sex, that same verb again, are arsenikotai, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Now, when looking at these three passages, we would be well served to look at the context in which they were written and the cultural expectations of the time. Jesus uses those two, I mean, Paul uses those two Greek words that I mentioned before that have been interpreted to have homosexual connotations, malakoi and arsenikotai. The latter one of those words, beginning in 1946, 1946, that was the first time it was... Uh, translated as homosexuality. But note that the newer translation, which I was reading from, says men who engage in illicit sex. Arsenikotai is not homosexuality. The history of that, you can actually see pressure from a particular group to translate that word as homosexuality, but it is not homosexuality. It is better translated pederasty, P-E-D-E-R-A-S-T-Y. You can go home and look it up. It's important to remember that the only form of same-sex relationships that Paul knew of involved perversions and excesses of sex, male prostitution in the pagan temple, adult male violence on younger males and prostitution in fertility rights. In Paul's context, he knew nothing. He knew nothing of homosexuality in terms of a mutual, loving, committed, monogamous relationship. Again, let's go back to context. It's vitally important. Consider other scriptures in the New Testament, such as those that say these things. In those same letters attributed to Paul, slaves, obey your masters. Women should not be silent or teach in church. Oops. <laughs> Men should pray with hands uplifted. Women should not wear their hair braided or wear gold or uh, pearls or expensive clothing. How many of us would 
hold to those instructions today. My point is that we all read scripture based on context. The context, um, we should read it in terms of the context in which it was written and we also know that we read scripture based on the experience of our own history, our own faith journey, our own interpretive lens. The Bible is not a simple book and, and it's complex and we must study it carefully. Now let's go back to the account of Peter and Cornelius in Acts. Peter knew what the scriptures said. He knew the law of Moses. And based on that dream he had, he also knew that God was doing a new thing. He followed the voice of God one step at a time. He didn't just jump in, he followed it one step at a time until God used him to reach a different people, a people that had previously been considered unclean. And folks, that's you all. We're, We're the Gentiles. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for Peter listening to God and understanding that God might be doing a new thing. And while the words of Scripture can be difficult to understand and and interpret and follow based on the fact that, that they were written thousands of years and in languages that we might not be familiar with and that are different from our own, we can look to the Word of God, Word with a capital W, the Word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus was strangely quiet on this subject. Not a word. Crickets. What he did say again and again through his words and actions, through his life and death and resurrection was love one another. Love your neighbor. Love others as I love you. So when we think about this topic, at the very least, we can realize that we don't know it all. We don't have the corner on the market of knowledge. We don't have the corner on the market of righteousness. And I, for one, want to err on the side of grace. In Thursday's pastor's message this week, Steve remembered Christian music artist Rich Mullins, who um, on the anniversary, 25th anniversary of his death, um, untimely and tragic death, he was a person of deep faith and wisdom. His understanding of scripture is one that we would do well to cling to. He said this, I think if we were given the scriptures, it's not so much so that we could prove that we're right about everything. If we were given the scriptures, it was to humble us 
into realizing that God is right and the rest of us are just guessing. Again, I'm not trying to wrench you into um, a particular perspective, but just to remember that we're all just guessing. So let's focus on what Jesus said is the greatest law of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's love one another. Just, just love one another. Let's pray. Oh God, you are patient and kind and loving. We thank you that you offer grace to us all. Be with us. Lead us to offer grace to one another. As we search the scriptures, as we read and seek to understand, give us your guidance. May we always be open to the movement of the Spirit that you might be doing a new thing. O oh God of love, may we love one another as you love us. Amen.